This is Reynolds Podcast, The Creative Mindset. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Creative Mindset, a podcast about what the future holds at the intersection of creativity and technology. I am Rei Nomoto, the founding partner of Ironco, a global innovation firm based in New York and Tokyo. Today's guest, Tara Tan, is a designer turned capitalist. She runs her own venture capital firm, Strange Ventures, out of San Francisco, which she founded in 2022. Strange Ventures invests in game changing ideas before anyone else by focusing on AI infrastructure and the evolution of human creativity. If you haven't listened to part one of my conversation with Tara, Please have a listen. It's really worth it. In this episode, we dive deeper into the business of creativity, technology, and investment. She shares specific tips on what she looks for in founders, and it's super useful for anyone running a business in the age of AI. So let's get started. So, either at the Strange Ventures or your prior experience at the Ideal Ventures, what are, you know, have you had any unicorns? What were some of the hits and home runs that you might have had? Yeah, so this is where it becomes tricky because I think,、uh, I don't know how much I can say,、oh. uh, but I can say that the IDEO、uh, is top quarter. I would say beats typical、uh, fund returns by about 5x. Oh, 5x.、Um, oh, not bad. Yes.、Yeah. Yes. So it's, 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 it's really the top of the game.、Yeah. Um, you know, and and we,、uh, I think we started investing you know, probably more opportunistically.、Um, 10 years ago at IDEO. Yeah. And then launched the、uh, institutional funds in 2018. And then we had another fund in 2020、uh, and beyond. Yeah.、Um, but the performance is, is, is top quarter, if I, you know, if I say so myself. And I、sure. think the testament to that、sure. is the leverage and differentiator that design brings to the table. Yeah. Some of the major exits、um, from IDEO include、uh, places like PillPack. So we were very involved with your、uh, design and strategy from the early stages. That was a great win for us.、Uh, and then we had others like Drizzly and, and beyond. Mm. Mm. At IDEO and the venture fund that you were running, was there a certain focus of the types of companies that you were investing in? Yeah, it was varied. So in 2018, we、uh, had a、uh, distributed web crypto fund. This was 2018. That was Crypto Fund One that was fully focused on、uh, the blockchain and the distributed web.、Uh, and then 2020, I think IDEO in general had、uh, a pretty broad mandate. So they invested in things like,、um, you know, enterprise SaaS to climate to digital health was a pretty big portfolio for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, were you looking for companies that already had a decent design capability, or was IDEO there to support and supplement、uh, the lack of design? That's a great question. I think,、uh, in truth, it's a, it's a mix. So,、mm-hmm. some founders、um, appreciate design and they know they need it,、uh, and they're、yeah. looking for a partner、uh, to complement that. Yeah. Uh, and some teams already have in, you know, incredible design talent embedded within the founding team. So, it was a mix. Yeah. But what, what do you do when you, when you find a company or founder or founders who maybe, and I don't mean to make it about engineers versus designers, but say, you know, brilliant engineers, but they might not value design as much as people like you and I do.、Um, have you invested in those types of founders andor companies? And in that case, what do you do to, you know, infuse that sensibility of design? Some of the most productive partnerships in my you know, 15, 20 years、um, uh, as a VC and as an operator has been working with deep tech founders. So, really technical talent.、Uh, and I'm often the first creative partner they work with to translate and commercialize that technology.、Mm. 
Um, I would say, you know, if, if they absolutely didn't believe in design and they, you know, um, I think it's going to be a hard sell, mm-hmm. right, uh, to them. And it's, and it's, it's not going to be natural for them to embed the process into their business operations. Yeah. Um, but yeah. by design, we don't mean aesthetics. We don't just mean, yeah. uh, pretty pixels. We really are talking about the, um, the process to, uh, understand your customer in several instances, discover them, mm-hmm. um, and, and build great products that, that meet their needs. Yeah. You know, can you give me a specific example? Yeah, for sure. You know, so for um, for IDEO, they worked with PillPack very early on. So PillPack is one of the first um, uh, sort of mail order pharmacy. Mm. Uh, you know, in the U.S., it's extremely hard to get your medication. You have to go physically to a pharmacy, put your prescription in, and then so on. So um, what PillPack did was that they uh, made it super simple and they worked with IDEO to, to design the, the, the sort of product of it. Um, so they managed all the back end of the prescriptions, the medication and the delivery. But what they did differently was that instead of packaging the medication by type, you know, you get like, this is for X, Y, Z, they packaged it according to the time and day you're supposed to take it. Yeah. So they interviewed yeah. like hundreds of patients, understood, especially those who were on sort of, you know, very chronic uh, or very complex medication schedules, um, that was really a lifesaver. Mm. You know, if you have Alzheimer's or you have something that makes it really hard to remember which pills to take when, this was just instantly much more personalized to yeah. you, made it much easier for you to remember and how to take it. So they were bought over by, uh, they were acquired by Amazon, I think in 2017, if I'm not mm-hmm. wrong. So it's a great uh, example of how, you know, design really helped shape the product itself and the product experience. Um, I'll talk about one from my portfolio uh, that we invested in. Um, uh, so River Financial is a um, premium prime brokerage for Bitcoin. So when they first uh, were founded, and I met Alex uh, Leishman, the founder, many years ago, he was running the SF Bitcoin devs that's hosted at Digital Garage in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Yes, many, many years ago. Yeah, I think since... Mm probably the start. Alex is amazing. Mm. Uh, And he started River with the vision um, of building sort of the best in class uh, Bitcoin brokerage. Mm. But when he entered, there were two giants in the market. There was Coinbase, which we all know, uh, which had a, you know, really huge market share. And there was Binance, which served, Mm. uh, uh, you know, sort of the other end of the market. So there were these two giants. He came out. Um, He had the best in class security systems. Uh, custody systems. He was building really great sort of lightning payments back, you know, infrastructure in the back end. Uh, so he had all of that technology in place, but he sort of faced these two industry giants and found themselves sort of at a, at a gridlock. And it was like, how can we beat them? How can we get a foothold in the market? You know, so they went out, they started digging deep and they started, you know, exploring different, you know, talking to different people, Understanding, like, you know, are the, is there a market segment that was just, you know, that they could serve? And they found them. Turns out there's a uh, very wealthy, very underserved class of people who desperately wanted access to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But they did not want to wire money across the Internet. <laughs> so these were your um, very wealthy folks who were maybe a little bit older. Uh, a little bit more traditional, who lived, you know, say, not on the, the, the both coasts of the U.S., so they were less tech-savvy, 
You know, they were used to picking up the phone and, uh, you know, buying massive amounts of like stocks or shares in, uh, you know, yeah, Apple, Google, but not over the internet, over the phone. So they designed a white glove uh, product where they would serve this segment of, of very wealthy individuals, wealth advisors, family offices who just wanted access to Bitcoin. Mm. Uh, so they're doing super well now. They're 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 hitting ser- you know their Series B, and this is a really great case study of how a company really turned to design to discover its users mm-hmm. and hit a gold mine. Right, right, right. Yeah. So Bitcoin for boomers. Yeah. <laughs> when you got involved with them, they didn't yet have a product market fit. It sounds like, or did they? Well, no. And most and most early stage companies, you don't. You have a hunch. Yeah, you know, maybe they do customer interviews, insights. They have a hunch, oh. and right, and that's that's why I think early stage venture is as much an art and a science, right? Um, well. Because you know the data is limited, mm. right? When you do, you're doing growth stage investing, what they call growth stage investing, which means you invest in companies at a Series B, C, D, and beyond. There's lots of data to look at, right? You can look at time yeah. to market, customers, uh, revenue that's earned, traction. And so on, but at the earliest stages, you know. Are you are you doing pre-seed or seed? I'm doing pre-seed to Series A, so pre-seed, seed, Series. Got it, got it. Yeah. VCs in particular look for what they call unicorns, so mm-hmm. um, startups that would generate twenty to a thousand x returns. Mm-hmm. That's what we're really looking for. So we're re- really looking for the outliers that will give you outsized returns. I think this the 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 trick to unicorns. You know, isn't so much that, um, you know, it's part luck, but it's also just pure grit and determination to kind of push through the, the bad parts of, of starting a company, the lows, and it kind of pulls you through. So I find that unicorn founders often have a personal purpose that's very tied to their business. And that usually is what uh, drives them and pushes it through. So especially at the pre-seed or even seed level, even seed level, those are unproven seeds to so to speak, right? Yes. Yeah, and I would imagine some of the founders that you're talking to, even the ones that you haven't invested, might be quite young and you know might not have the experience and might not have the, the track record. So how do you decide, you know, you, you use the word hunch, you also use the word art and science. What's the art part and what's the science part when it comes to, okay, I'm going to bet on this, even though there might not be a market fit yet. I would say many investors take different approaches. Uh, I mean, there are very tangible data points that you can look at, which is number one, is the uh, market opportunity they're looking at big enough to generate the type of return that we want, right? So the advantage and the appeal of investing at the early stage is that if you get it right, uh, those multiples um, beat the later stage sort of investing returns by a huge margin, right? right. right? Uh, so I think... So that's one. So we look at number one, uh, market opportunity. Is that, uh, you know, is that big enough? Is it big enough a market or is it more of a, you know, small business or medium size? Is, you know, are we going to be able to get our, the returns that we want? Number two is that we look for founders that have an earned customer insight. So that's really important for us. We look for startups that have an earned customer or technical insight. So one of one of two. Okay. So either they've you know maybe uh, been a product manager at a bank for several years, they see a hole in financial services that they want to serve, or they spent the last ten years at uh, you know a top tier tech company, um, inventing 
a certain technology that they're now able to sort of, you know, jump off and, and kind of build into a larger um, product or protocol. Uh, relevant experience and re relevant uh, insights. Yes. Yeah. I think I understood the first one really straightforward, technical talent. So that's all about the, the founder and or the founding team. Yeah. The second one, when you say proprietary data set, I have a vague idea of what that could be. But again, just for the sake of listeners, what, what do you mean by that proprietary da data set? So, you know, most models, uh, you can get access to, to really great foundational models today, and they're often open source. But really the, the, the differentiator between, um, startup A and startup B is how good their model is. So, you know, whether they fine tune it, most of them won't build one from scratch, but a lot of them will fine tune it. Um, and when you fine tune it, um, the question is, what are you fine tuning it on? So I think an edge right now is, um, being able to have or access or acquire uh, certain types of data that would improve the product. Say, for example, if you're building a jewelry design product, can you get access to a database or a library of jewelry designs that you can use to inform your model, mm -hmm. for example? Mm -hmm. So we talk about fashion or we talk about music, right? So what is your catalog or, or um, proprietary sort of library that you can use to train this model? What else? Expert and expertise. And then I would say, you know, honestly, a breakthrough experience. So a breakthrough user or developer experience. Mm. And I can talk about it in context for, for Strange in speci specifically, sure. which only invest in AI. So there are three moats that I think exist in, um, in AI, right? Because most AI foundational models are heading towards being open source. Mm. So the largest question in AI right now is where is the value going to be in terms of the you know, sort of invest in investment returns. Mm. So, and, and everyone's always like, oh, you're, you're, are we going to be obsolete next month if this big company releases XYZ? Right. So I think there are three things. Uh, and this is why I think design is key to investing in AI. So key. I think there are three things. So one is obviously incredible technical talent. So people who are truly able to, to build foundational technology. The second one is proprietary data sets. And this is key because whether they have a line of sight to acquiring or getting customer data that would improve their model and improve their product. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the AI flywheel that we're talking about. Yeah. And the third one is uh, great user and developer experiences, right? Got it, got it. So you said, you know, technical talent, uh, proprietary data set. And then the, the third one was seamless developer and user experience. Um, give me an example. It doesn't have to be a company that you invested in, but give me an example of what you mean by seamless user and developer experience? I mean, you know, most, I would say SaaS products, um, you know, consumers are getting yeah. pretty sophisticated um, around yeah. user experience. So I think that's that's very key in terms of, you know, I mean, you can think of most of the popular SaaS products, you know, Figma, yeah. even like Slack, yeah. you know, Slack wasn't the first to, 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 to enterprise chat yeah. Yeah. by far. Yeah. But you had a great experience. Yeah. No, if you if you compare uh, Slack's features to like um, what was it, Hip Hip Chat mm. or something, or the couple of the iterations before, there were hundred other enterprise chats. Yeah, and they're exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah, but just the user experience was was just that much different. Absolutely. Yeah, the companies and uh, founders that you are looking for and investing are they mainly technical people? You. You know, you, you, the first thing that you said that you look for is technical talent. And you didn't say creative talent. Yes. Yeah. So 
are you specifically looking for technical talent to begin with? I would call them creative technologists. So um, they would have technical roots, but they, uh, you know, the most technical people are actually very creative. Mm. They're very creative. They're very visionary. Uh, I mean, they not, may not be able to draw or, you know, do all that sort of visual stuff, but they're extremely creative. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I find yeah. that the most brilliant minds are often extremely, extremely creative and they can sort of switch between the abstract and the tangible, mm. which is what designers yeah. and creatives can do very well. Yeah, I, I do agree that really good technical people are also good, great creative people. And the best people that I worked with whether they are in a traditional sense creatives or in a traditional sense technologists, they might have a specialty in terms of what they make. But in terms of the way they think, they can sort of transcend to other areas. Yes. We invested in, um, you know, sort of a, a really great generative AI image company. I'm just going to give a great example. They're still in stealth right now. Mm. So they're, great, they're building a great sort of product, great experience, um, you know, that uh, will make image editing and beyond very easy, very seamless, very joyful to use. Mm -hmm. um, but the more that users use them, the more data they get about, uh, you know, what they're using it for, what they're creating and so on. I can imagine that it loops back and improves that their model that they're making, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So this is like AI flywheel that I think will be, the edge for, me, for most companies in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. But how is that different from, let's say, say Midjourney or DALI or any other image generative AI tools? I mean, Midjourney is great. Midjourney has insane data, right, right, right. right? So they have an insane sort of feedback loop as well, where yeah. you consent to share your data back with Midjourney. Mm. You get actually like more credits and stuff. So they're actually rewarding you for sharing that sort of feedback loop right, right, right. Uh, in there. Yeah. And then would you say this company that you invested in, are they competitive to Midjourney or are they in a different space? I, mean, I think they're slightly different because they're more like a product, like an enterprise product, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. software product. So they actually have an interface and beyond Midjourney. Um, you know, I don't know what their plans are in, you know, building out a an actual sort of tool versus yeah. keeping that yeah. sort of frontier research yeah. part. I mean, great news for Midjourney. They, mm -hmm. uh, they just crossed uh, 200 million in annual revenue. Oh, Wow. Yeah. And they didn't raise a single dollar of venture capital. That's amazing. Wow. Yes. So they have complete, complete freedom if you think about it. That's unusual, isn't it? <laughs> That's unusual. I love it. I, I mean, I, even as a VC, I love that story. I think it's great. Yeah. And I wish them like all the best because I think that that gives you the ultimate creative freedom. I think the one is that uh, capitalism means creativity more than creativity means capitalism. Right. And there is um, always going to be pressure put on by the capitalists to make things more efficient, to drive things, to move, you know. But when creativity works, the impact and returns are outsized. It beats any sort of efficient efficiency that you can kind of derive. And they know that, right? Lightning Questions during the interview, we dig deep into different topics surrounding creativity. On the contrary, with this section, we ask the same questions to the guests to react on the spot, and we don't let them see the questions in advance. Question number one, if you weren't a venture capitalist, uh, or even in the design field, what, uh, what else could you see yourself doing? <laughs> I would do art. 
I would do art. Question number two: If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? I was gonna say Mexico City for some reason. <laughs> Question number three: Where is the next place that you would like to travel to?、Uh, I would like to revisit Tokyo. I've been there for a while. <laughs> Question number four: What's your favorite type of dish or cuisine? Pasta. Question number five: What's your favorite song or favorite type of music? I was gonna say drum and bass. Drum and bass. Uh, question number six: What was the biggest professional turning point for you? When I made the decision to go into more of a business.、Uh, last question, question number eight: For you, Tara, what is creativity? For me, creativity is is life. I think it's the magic, and it's the reason why we wake up every day, even even for the capitalists. Even for the capitalists. <laughs> That there, there's so much hunger and love、yeah. for creativity, and I think we're going to see more and more of that in the、mm. financial world.、Mm. Um, you know, even a huge PE funds like Blackstone and beyond are hiring、mm. designers. More VC funds are hiring designers. That's right. That's right. I am very excited about、uh, creatives、um, and what they can do with this new tool. That was part two of my conversation with Tara Tan, a designer turned capitalist and the founder of Strain Ventures. In this part of the conversation, we got into the nuts and bolts, the specifics of the business that she runs and how she invests. I couldn't help but to draw parallels between the conversation that we had, as well as the strike that's been happening, the writer strike that's been happening. In the U.S. for close to five months this year, in the end, the strike ended with some concessions that the studios and the distributors made for the writers. One of them is that the studios would not replace writers with AI or would not use AI to replace the writers' jobs, and also allowing the writers to sue. Uh, the companies that are leveraging their content, the writers' content, for learning、uh, to create more content. So, what's been happening this year in the public, particularly creatives versus capitalists narrative that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately, and how it's turning out. Of course, you know we don't know what the world is going to be like next year or the year after when these things really take effect. And we start to see the outcome of the strike and the ending result, and how that might influence the way we create content and the way creatives work with capitalists to move things forward. The three key takeaways from my conversation with Tara Tan today: number one, capitalism needs creativity more than creativity needs capitalism. Number two, the alignment of personal purpose. And business mission, and number three, qualities that she looks for in founders. The first point: capitalism needs creativity more than creativity needs capitalism. Where things become tricky is that when capitalism starts to take over creativity for the sake of profit and for the sake for the pure sake of generating more revenue. And in general, when that is the motive. I personally believe 
that the end outcome of a mentality of chasing capitalism will not end well for human society.、Um, I was really glad for Tara to say that capitalism needs creativity more than creativity needs capitalism. Point number two alignment of personal purpose and business mission. And this point is quite essential for anybody who is in any type of business and particularly for the founders to have a clear personal purpose, you know, why you are doing what you're doing and align that with what you're trying to do with the business that you are running, the business that you're trying to start, the business that you're trying to build. And when that alignment happens between what you care about as an individual and what your business should accomplish, when those two things turn into different pieces of gears, And when the teeth of those gears align nicely to become the engine of success and to become the engine of growth for your company. Point number three qualities that Tara looks for in founders. And this is another list of really well articulated, simple points that she made. A, is the market opportunity big enough? B, Does the founder or the founding team have expertise in a certain specific field that they are in? C, do they have a breakthrough product experience? D, do they have a technical talent in their company? And E, do they have a proprietary data set or do they have access to a proprietary data set? And F, seamless developer and user experience. I know this is a lot of lists, so you, know, you might want to jot these things down because. These six points that she laid out can be a very useful reminder to make sure that you are building your business successfully and create a moat around it、uh, so that、uh, you can fight against competitors that might、uh, threaten the, the future of your company. So, think about these qualities that, that she said that she looks for in the founders that she tries to invest in, but those are relevant to anybody who are. Uh, in a position to, to manage、uh, a company. So, just to summarize, key takeaway number one capitalism needs creativity more than creativity needs capitalism. Key takeaway number two the alignment of personal purpose and business mission. Number three qualities that Tara looks for. There were six things that she mentioned. So, do make a mental note and make it、uh, useful for your, your business. In part one of my conversation, she talked about her journey as a designer and then breaking up with design to become an investor. The way she talked about design was as if it was her first love, and she still cherishes her memory with her first love. In part two of my conversation, she had a lot of practical points, as you heard. Even though they were practical, and sometimes practical things are dry, functional things, but I could sense that there was real love from her for design. And because she broke up with design, she has some distance. She's not a, a design practitioner on a day to day basis, but she has some distance and objectivity towards design. That she's able to digest design in an objective manner. And that's why she's able to offer practical 
point of view and practical advice, particularly for anybody in the business of creativity. So that was part two of my conversation with Tara Tan, a designer turned capitalist and the founder of Strange Ventures. If you're listening to this on Spotify, there's a Q&A field, so please do send us your questions and comments. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or any other app, and if you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps and we'll be so grateful. I'm Ray Namoto, and this is The Creative Mindset. See you next time.